All right, I want you to turn to two passages of Scripture. Um, turn to Ezekiel chapter 2 and 1 Timothy 6. And welcome to the North Richland Hills campus. I want you turning in your Bibles as well. You know, they've got new cameras now, and I can actually see whether you have a Bible or not. <laughs> so Ezekiel chapter 2 and 1 Timothy 6. Now, I know that, that we're in Mark 4, and, and so if you are, you know, a, a professional Bible turner, then you can also have your Bible open to Mark 4, because I'm going to read our, our springboard scriptures for the whole series out of Mark chapter 4. But we got a lot of scripture in the message, like we always have, so I'd like you to, to at least see two of them in your Bible. Ezekiel chapter 2 and 1 Timothy 6. We're in a series called The Journey, and uh, The Journey talks about the journey that we all go through in growing in our relationship with God. And we identified out of Mark chapter 4, four different groups of people who are attending church and who are growing in their relationship with God. So let me just remind you of these four groups. And we also have the cross in here because one of these groups are people that haven't accepted the Lord yet. I actually talked to a lady last night and she came to Guest Central and uh, she said, uh, I met you several years ago uh, in doing some stuff here in, uh, in the city and uh, you invited me to uh, the church. And she said, I have not um, uh, attended church since I was a, a child. And um, uh, she said, it's just getting stronger and stronger. That was over a year ago. So she said, a few weeks ago, I started attending. And she said, I can't tell you how much I love this series. Here's what she said, because I'm still in the Exploring God group. This is, she, she's telling me this. She said, and I'm having such a great time, and I'm, I'm just exploring God right now and trying to see about making this step into becoming a Christian. Now, isn't that great? That's what we want. That's our desire. So I gave you the answer. What's the first group called? The people who are exploring God. The second group, once you get saved, these are people who are beginning in God. Third group, which is what we're going to talk about today, are people who are, you know, it's getting softer and softer here. <laughs> people who are close to God. And this last group, people who are God-centered, GC also stands for? That's correct, all right. That's where we're all going. And you could put the word growing above all of this because we're all growing in the Lord. All right, now, also, you're going to have to put the scripture references down and the sermon points uh, in your notes because we didn't have, I didn't get them in in time with the holidays. I think all you have is the title. Is that right? I haven't looked. Is that it? Okay. All right, so the title is Close to God. We're going to talk about people who are close to God and the pitfalls and the attacks of the enemy when you're trying to get close to God, how is Satan trying to attack you? So here's the scripture in Mark chapter 4. We'll get to Ezekiel in a minute. Mark 4 verse 7 says, And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Now in a moment, we're going to read on down in Mark 4 about what, how these thorns actually manifest, but... For a, a moment, I want to talk about what thorns might represent in the Bible. If you remember last week, I showed you how what birds of the air represent sometimes in the Bible and how they can represent the demons and the demonic forces. Jesus himself said that the sower sows the seed and the birds of the air come and, and steal it. And, and they said, well, what does that mean? He said, well, birds there, that represents Satan. 
And we know that Satan is not omnipresent. We said that last week. So it's his fallen angels. It's, it's demonic spirits that try to steal the word from us. And we showed all these scriptures on birds. I actually couldn't believe I remembered another scripture that shows again birds in this context. And I thought, well, I got to show them that. So you got you to see this scripture. So let me just show you again. Look at the context in which birds are used in this scripture, all right? Revelation 18 verse 1 says, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen. Now let me just stop for a moment. Do you think that that's talking about the literal city of Babylon? Or do you think this is a representative of something? It's representative, right? Okay, then watch this. Babylon the great is fallen is fallen. Now watch this. And has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. Pretty amazing. Why, why would it use birds in the same sentence, talking about the same thing with demons and foul spirit? Unless there's types, a shadow, a symbol there. All right? So, what do thorns represent? Well, before I show you what thorns <clears throat> represent... I have to show you what scorpions represent, okay? In other words, I have to give you another symbol to help you understand that symbol. So let me just show you what scorpions represent. Uh, I'll get to Ezekiel 2 in a minute, by the way, just hold on. Luke chapter 10, verse 17 says, Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, the, the, the subject here are demons and Satan. Now watch verse 19. Jesus said, behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Okay. Did Jesus just not hear what they said? Or did he respond to what they said? See, they came and they said, Lord, even the demons obey us in your name. This is kind of funny. I've always thought Jesus might say, really? <laughs> you know, and his response is, a lot of people don't understand his response. His response is how unimpressed he is with Satan. He said, listen, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. When he crossed my dad, he, went, he was out like lightning. I'm not impressed with Satan. I'm not impressed with him at all. Okay, but then he says, they said, Lord, the demons are subject. He said, mm-hmm. I give you the power to trample on serpents and scorpions. Well, what would serpents and scorpions represent then? Demons. See, either they represent demons or David, Kevin, at the next elders meeting, we need to talk about bringing snakes and scorpions into the sanctuary. (laughs) Do you want us to do that? Do Do you think that that's literal serpents and scorpions? No. That you'd have to be out of your mind to believe that. And I hear there are some churches that are out of their minds. That's not what he's talking about. It's clear the context. They're talking about demons. As a matter of fact, the very next verse we didn't read, he said, nevertheless, don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to you. Rejoice your names are written in heaven. Spirits, spirits, the enemy, give you power over the enemy. Demons, Lord, the demons are subject to us. I saw Satan, demons, Satan, enemy, spirits, and in the middle, Jesus says, "Mm -hmm, serpents and scorpions. Are y'all following me? Yes. Okay, so there's no, no doubt serpents and scorpions represent demons, all right? 
So what do thorns represent? All right, now we're in Ezekiel 2, all right? Ezekiel chapter 2, look at verse 3. And he said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation. I want you to notice how many times he says they're rebellious or they've rebelled against him. To a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. For they are impudent and stubborn children. I am sending you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, As for them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are a rebellious house, yet they will know that a prophet has been among them. Now watch six carefully. And you, son of man, now this is why he's prophesying to rebellious people. Do not be afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words. Watch, though briars and thorns are with you, and you dwell among scorpions. Okay. That, is that literal? <laughs> he, he's telling this man of God to go prophesy to a rebellious people. And he says, oh, and by the way, you know, there's a lot of scorpions in Israel. Watch out for them. Do you really think that's what he was talking about? Literal scorpions? Ezekiel's up there prophesying, God wants me to... One of them scorpions. Oh, rip my sleeve on one of those thorns. He said there were a lot of thorns here. Are, are y'all following me? Let me explain something to you. Do you know why scorpions in Luke 10 represents demons and scorpions in Ezekiel 2 still represents demons? Because the same dude wrote the whole book. <laughs> That's why. This is all one book. Are, are, are y'all following me? It's absolutely amazing. Do you, do you know, do you know there, in, in Revelation talks about scorpions? Do you know what it says about the scorpions? Do you know what it says? Listen, let me tell you what it says. It says that they cannot harm green trees, but they can harm men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Well, what's, what, how does that make sense? Well, it makes sense if you go over and read Psalm 1. The man who meditates on the word will be like a tree planted by the water. You know what one of these end time books says about the scorpions? You know what it says? They're helicopters. helicopters. Where do you get that from? Why don't you let the Bible interpret the Bible? If the Bible says scorpions in Revelation, why don't you take a concordance and look up scorpions everywhere else in the Bible and figure out what scorpions are? Let me tell you what demons can do. Demons can come all over people who don't have the seal of God on their forehead, but they can harm people who will read the word of God and meditate on it. That's what it's saying. Green trees. Are y'all following me? Now, why am I doing this? Why am I taking so much time to show you what birds and thorns and scorpions represent? Here's why. I'm going to tell you why and see if you figure it out. Because I'm going to say it in a roundabout way. I'm trying to teach you to fish. I could just give you a fish every weekend. But if I can teach you to fish, if I show you some things on the weekend that get you excited, maybe during the week you'll say, I got to read that book some more. Because there's some things in there I hadn't seen before. Are y'all following me? All right, all right. I just got a, just a couple more on, on thorns because this is so important. They come against everybody, by the way. 
They come against everybody. Even people who are close to God and God-centered, the thorns are still trying to choke the word. Let me show you someone who was close to God and God-centered, and yet a thorn came against him. And here's what's amazing. We never even put it together. Uh, you, you know, the, uh, the Greek word for messenger in the Bible is angelos. Sometimes it's translated messenger. Sometimes it's translated angel, angelos. And what would an angel of Satan be? Be a demon, right? A fallen angel, right? You, you do understand there are good angels and fallen angels. Everybody understand that? So you need to be careful, by the way, because you, you, you've, you haven't thought about this. Sometimes you even say, you know, your, your little boy's an angel. Mm-hmm, he might be. <laughs> Okay, so there are good ones and bad ones, right? Now, here's a guy that wrote a third of the New Testament. So he's close to God. He's God-centered. He, and, and watch what he says that was buffeting him, and watch what he calls it. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, Comma, he's going to tell you what the thorn was, a messenger of Satan. And that word messenger is angelos, an angel, a fallen angel of Satan. That's a demon. And can you tell me again what the guy, the greatest apostle ever lived, the guy that wrote a third of the New Testament, what he called this angel of Satan? A thorn. A thorn. All right, give you one more example on thorns. When you go into the promised land, the enemy's there. The promised land does not represent heaven. A lot of Christians have said, you know, the promised land represents heaven. No, no, doesn't represent heaven because the enemy's still in there. Not not gonna be any enemies in heaven. The promised land represents the overcoming Christian life because what it means is if you'll fight and drive the enemies out of your life, then then you you live in a land of milk and honey and provision. But you've got to fight, all right? So, if you, so in the Old Testament, literal enemies. In the New Testament, we have spiritual enemies, right? Now, watch what it says about these enemies. Numbers 33, verse 55. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall be that those whom you let remain shall be irritants in your eyes and thorns in your sides. And they shall harass you in the land where you dwell. You know what he's saying? He's saying, okay, you're a believer. I brought you out of Egypt. Coming out of Egypt represents getting saved. They got, came out by the blood of the lamb. Go, crossing the Red Sea represents water baptism. The cloud coming down represents the Holy Spirit. He's saying, I've done all that for you, but now you're trying to enter into the promised land. You're trying to possess the land, overcome, and, and take the land. They have the overcoming Christian life. But he said, let me tell you what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to drive the enemy out of your land because if you let them stay, they're going to become thorns. And they're going to harass you in the land. Let me, let me just say it another way. If you don't drive out bitterness, if you don't drive out unforgiveness, if you don't drive out lust, if you don't drive out pride, if you don't drive out anger, even as a believer, you're going to be harassed. But you can drive these enemies out. Are you all following me? Because this is a very good sermon. If you, if you don't know, just to let you know, this is, this is helping you. All right? Okay. So he tells us, Jesus tells us, how are these demons going to come against us? And we're just going to touch them because the main thing I want you to understand is that you can get in the Word and drive these things out, all right? So he gives us three ways. Let me read them to you. Mark 4, verse 18. Now, these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the Word and the cares of this world. That's number one. 
the deceitfulness of riches, that's number two, and the desire for other things entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. So here's your three points if you want, if you want to write them down. Number one, the cares of this world. I started to name these points, kind of give them catchy names, and then I thought, you know what, they're not that hard, and since Jesus said it, let's memorize these three. They're real easy. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, that'll be point number two, and the desire for other things. Here are the cares of this world. Now, do you know that care is always trying to jump on you? As a matter of fact, we have a saying that's really a good saying. It it means be careful, but the one time when I heard it, I thought, I don't don't really like that saying. It's this saying, take care. I really don't want to take care with me. I don't like him. (sighs) Here's what I want to do with care. I want to cast care. First uh, Peter five verse seven says, "Cast all your care on Him, for He cares for you." Let me let me explain something to you. You were not designed to carry care; you were only designed to cast care. And when you try to carry care, you're in trouble. Uh, this lady said to me one time. Uh, she said, "I am so burdened with all these cares. I have all these cares: our finances, the the, the economy." the world, my kids, have all these cares. So I said to her, well, have you given them to the Lord? Here's what she said. Oh, many times. I said, well, uh, wait a minute. How can you give something to another person many times unless many times you take it back? Now, I understand that it's an ongoing process. I understand that. But what I wanted to let her know was, I'm not sure you've ever actually given them to God. Here's the way sometimes we give things to God. Okay, God, I just got this. And I just can't carry it anymore, God. I just can't carry it. I'm just, I just cannot. I just cannot do it, God. And I, just, and I just lay it at your feet, Lord. And I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to think about it anymore. I just give it to you. And it's just, I just, I just, I give it to you. And God, if anything's going to happen to that, you're going to have to do it. Because I'm not going to do it, Lord. I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to worry about it. it I, just, I just give it to you. Well, if you're just going to sit there. <laughs> now, here's, here's the sad thing about it. The cares of this world, even when you're reading the Bible, can choke the word of God if you let them stay. Let me ask you, let me give you an illustration. Have you ever read a chapter in the Bible, closed it, and didn't have the slightest idea of what you just read? You know why? Because your mind was somewhere else. The cares of this world choke the word. Here's number two, the deceitfulness of riches. Now, now look at uh, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Now, I want you to look up at verse 9. Look at verse 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Okay, now we just found out some things. He said, don't trust in riches, Don't desire riches and don't love riches. 
That's in essence what we just read. Don't trust in, don't desire, and don't love riches. Can I tell you why this is so important? Because we're supposed to trust, desire, and love God. Here's what he's saying. If you begin to look to riches for the things that you're supposed to look to God for, then you're going to fall. You're going to fall in temptation and a snare and many, many sorrows. This is why, this is why Jesus said, here's the way Jesus said it, the deceitfulness of riches. See, riches are deceptive. Come to me and I'll provide for you. Come to me, I'll give you peace. Come to me, I'll work your problems out. But God's the only one that can provide. God's the only one that can give us peace. God's the only one that can solve our problems. That's the deceptiveness of riches. And I want you to understand, it says those who desire to be rich. Now listen to me carefully. It did not say those who desire to provide for their families. It doesn't say those who desire to be successful in the career God's called them into. There's nothing wrong with, with wanting to do a good job. Nothing wrong with wanting to be a, a good provider, to be able to take care of your kids and send them to college, put braces on them, things like that. That's not the point. This word riches, here's what it means. It means an abundance of things, an abundance of earthly possessions. So here's what this verse is saying. Those who desire, those whose hearts go after a bunch of things, they're going to fall. They're going to. Let me tell you, why? Why? Because we're supposed to pursue God. We're supposed to go after God. And that's where the number three comes in, the desire for other things. This is different than the deceitfulness of riches because this isn't just money things. It's just a desire, a passion for other things. In other words, we want another house than the one we have. We want another uh, uh, spouse than the one we have. We want other clothes. We want another job. We just want something other than what we have. This causes more depression in people than anything else. Never satisfied. And the reason that they're never satisfied is the only person that can ever satisfy the human soul is God. You can never be satisfied by a new car. Never. You'll never be satisfied with a new house. You'll never be satisfied with a new spouse if that's what you're looking for. You can only be satisfied by God. Now, let me tell you something strange about this word, the desire for other things. You know what this Greek word is? And I know y'all like Greek words. I know you do. So I share these with you. Epithumia. Wasn't that a good one? Epithumia. Now, here's the reason I share that with you, because maybe in some teaching along the way, you'll remember when I tell you what this Greek word means. It's the Greek word for lust. As a matter of fact, other than here and two other passages, every time it's translated, it's translated lust. Every other time. I'll show you one scripture where this same Greek word is. 1 John 2, 16. For all that is in the world, the lust, that's epithumia, of the flesh the lust, epithumia, of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Lust. You say, well, man, what are these? Here, here he says the desire for other things. Here's what he's literally saying, the lust. As a matter of fact, the old King James translates this lust. The lust for other things. You say, well, where are the other two places it's used? Now, this is going to shock you. 
Paul used this word when he talked about going to heaven. And Jesus used this word when he talked about the Last Supper. I don't understand that. Well, let me explain to you the root of this word that's translated lust. You know what it really means? The root of it? Passion. Passion. Now listen to me carefully because this will help you tremendously. God created you with passion. Satan turned it to lust. We are supposed to be passionate about God and about people. Satan turns it toward lust for the wrong people in the wrong way and for things. See, here's what Jesus was saying when he's talking about the upper, the disciples in the upper room. He said, I have passionately desired to have this meal with you. Here's what Paul was saying. I am so passionate to go to heaven. I think it's better if I stay here for you, but I'd rather go there. All of, everything within me wants to go to heaven. I'm passionate about it. And let me tell you why this is so important, and then I'm finished, all right? I'm going to give you one thing that happened in my own life, and this is going to help you. Because every one of us deal with lust in some way or another. Whether it's a sexual lust or a lust for things, a lust for position, we deal with it. God wants you to have passion, but Satan wants us to have lust. Uh, I've told you before I got saved, I was a very immoral person. After I got saved, fell in love with God, uh, wanted to do God's will, but I still had a whole bunch of junk I had to deal with. I had like a videotape I had to deal with. And I remember going to my pastor, and by the way, I also had to go through deliverance and inner healing, and we provide all those things here at the church. So you got to get free in these areas. But I went to my pastor, Pastor Olin Griffin, Shady Grove Church. I was probably in my 20s at this time, and I said to him, I, I don't know what to do. I still have a lot of lustful thoughts, and I, I don't know what to do. I, I don't know how to get rid of lust. Is there anything you can share with me or a book you can give me or... Any way you can help me? <laughs> I'll never forget. He looked at me for a minute. And he went, and he put his hands on my head. And he just started praying. And he said, Father, I pray that you will cause Robert to fall passionately in love with you. In Jesus' name, amen. And he turned around and walked off. <laughs> and I thought, no book. <laughs> and the next morning, in my quiet time, I was thinking about that. And the Lord said to me, son, it's passion for me that drives out lust for others. Now, can I tell you something? That was worth your money this morning. <laughs> That'll help you. See, we try to get the bad stuff out. Let me tell you how you get the bad stuff out. You get the good stuff in. Let me tell you what the good stuff is. J-E-S-U-S. Jesus. So what do you do about, how do you get the cares of this world? How do you get the deceitfulness of riches? How do you get lust for other things out? Spend time with God. Not so that you can check it off your list, but so you can fall passionately in love with the one who is passionate for you.